from the top. Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comics Podcast, Episode 74, Mighty Beard Testosterone Extra Edition. <laughs> I'm Rory, and I'm joined by one other nerd, Ryan. Hello. Together, we take on this week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there's going to be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, read your books, because you should have read them in the first place, then come back. Each week, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Secret Empire number two. Our companion song is War Ensemble by Slayer because, well, fuck it, it's Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) It's all you need. Yeah, let's take a listen. Bang your heads. Secret Empire. Oh, this is getting so juicy. It's funny because there's so much stuff that's going on with it that it's like we've already kind of predicted and we've already seen this stuff happening. But it's like they're throwing in a lot of stuff too that making me go, oh yeah. So we've got Secret Empire number two, Marvel Comics, written by Nick Spencer, pencils by Andrea Sorrento and Rob Reese. Before I got ahead of myself here, <laughs> this is some good stuff. So you start off with Iron Fist and Luke Cage fumbling around in the dark and it's like in New York City and the lights come on and there's all these demons that are around and they get in this big old fist fight. So what we discover is now New York City is encloaked in darkness and there's all these demons running around and stuff like that and Dagger is being this giant beacon of light and she holds up for as long as she can every night at the top of the Empire State Building. I never thought I would think Dagger was all that awesome but she's pretty badass in this. I thought that was a pretty cool idea right there. I never really thought of that whole thing. I was like, oh shit, that's That's pretty awesome. (laughs) There's stuff in the Darkhold dimension where they're trapped, and it's pitch black, so there's demons everywhere, and her power is she can make light, but it's so strenuous and difficult on her that it's killing her. Yeah, because she's sitting there doing it all day, every day. Yeah. Then, of course, she's slowly, as time goes on, she's getting more and more tired. So it's like she started off being able to pretty much keep it up all day long, and then as time went on, she's slowly, the gaps are getting shorter and shorter of daylight. I feel like with this imagery, they're going for how in war zones, civilian populations Mm -hmm. will often only have a few hours of water and electricity each day. Oh, yeah. I think they're really going for that parallel. And then you've got Kingpin. I think this is like, they kind of foreshadowed this with the comic, is that he's trying to not be... I mean, he's still an evil bastard, but it's like he's not just being completely selfish on this one. Yeah, I mean, he is going to benefit from it. It's a very classic mafioso move where he's saying, I'm going to do you a favor today, and then there's going to come a day in the future where you're going to do me a favor. He also says, remember when we get back to the light, who saved you? Yeah, Wilson Fisk kept you safe. (laughs) That was a cool little scene right there. He walks up and snaps the guy's neck. (laughs) I feel like they're doing a real good job of balancing everything that's happening because there's crazy shit happening all over different corners of the Marvel Universe here. They give you just enough pages 
to really concentrate on the scene that's happening and give you the cool stuff that's happening there, and then they're on to the next scene that's going to happen that's also going to be really badass. Yeah, there's all kinds of shit that's going on in this one. I mean, really, it's kind of a jam-packed comic. Even as what is pretty close to a double issue, which the Secret Empire issues have been so far, it's still packed to the brim with stuff find out that rick jones has gotten captured in some hydra outpost yeah it's kind of cool you get to see that scene from issue one play out from a different perspective kind of like roshamon and then he'll steal some of their info and that's when the big reveal gets dropped and this panel was just amazing they dropped it kobik has completely changed captain america mind you kind of skipped over it but it's like new york city's all like just destroyed and then they bombed another city like carpet bombed an entire city as a lesson it's like a real grim episode. <laughs> I like that panel where they have, it's an image of Captain America. And then if you zoom in yes. on it, it's actually made up of hundreds of panels from Captain America's past and history. That's what I was talking about. Is that, that panel is just amazing. It's just a big, huge mosaic of Captain America when they reveal everything. I thought that was a really cool touch, yeah. you know. That must have taken a while to do. <laughs> yeah, it's really well done, too. It's pretty impressive. Rick Jones basically tells them that there's all these pieces of Kobik all over the place, and you gotta go get him and he's probably gonna get killed for it as Hydra's kicking in the door and then you find out that you know it's like that's a pretty like harsh thing it's like you think that Cap has really gone off the deep end when you hear that he's bombed a whole city into submission then you find out that in actuality it was Elisa it wasn't Cap himself gave the order but they're using the public image as since it already got done using it in their favor saying that there's gonna be order and strength if you defy us this is what you're gonna get it's also a really cool panel of him sitting on the throne of Hydra and it's all in yeah. red. Like if you've seen pictures of uh, the Red Skull like that a bunch of times, given it's kind of the same body posture that the Red Skull has. Yeah, even though Cap really looks miserable in that point. He's pretty miserable in this fascist utopia that he's created. <laughs> even though Kobik has changed him, he still has a lot of the old Steve Rogers in him and he can't bring mm -hmm. himself to do a lot of the really bad shit that they do. He tells the Hydra people, do what you need to do. I don't need to know about the specifics of it because I want the end goal to happen and I understand we're making an omelet here so we got to break some eggs but I don't want to be the one cracking them yeah so there's some conflict there in a way there's also there's conflict with the superheroes when they hear that news because drunk AI Tony Stark <laughs> <laughs> that was the oh yeah <laughs> wants to go and actually get these things back and Natasha is like no we need to shoot that motherfucker in the head yeah exactly we've tried that before when it first came out you know there were preview panels where they were saying we first he thought he was a scroll and then we sent a bunch of people and they died and then we thought he might be mind controlled we sent a bunch of people and they died and she's like this is the same bullshit they've done to us a bunch of times where they try and get us to think that we can save captain america and everyone ends up dying when we do that and it's time yeah and they get all lured out but nonetheless of course because they don't want to have to kill cap kind of grasping for straws everybody's still getting ready to go after it and natasha separates herself from the rest of the crew and spider-man follows her i did like when she left when she's like if you don't think that captain america would want us to kill him if he knew what was happening to him then you don't know him at all that if he thought yeah. even one person was suffering let alone millions of people suffering because of him he'd want us to do this I thought that was interesting that she's kind of justifying what she's doing in that way well i mean that's very black widow <laughs> i think yeah <laughs> we've got a problem let's kill yeah, it for sure spider-man follows her to her mountain cabin in colorado out in the middle of nowhere and he's like hey we've all seen the vision i'm the one that kills captain america why don't we just get it over with why are we avoiding it 
and then she's like, oh, I don't want a sidekick. But then Amadeus Cho, the Wasp, Viv, Ironheart. It's like everybody shows up ready to assist her in her actions. Yeah, because they, they don't necessarily agree with what she's doing, but they don't want their friend to have to do this thing by themselves. Like all for one, one for all kind of deal. Yeah, exactly. Natasha cuts her hands and spreads blood along the wall and she's like, welcome to the Red Room. That was one of my favorite <laughs> panels this week. I think it's so awesome that Natasha, the bad things that were done to her in the service of war, the Red Room, that she's recreating that same thing with these children again. Mm-hmm. That was pretty awesome. And that panel, it's cool because it's all white except for the red of her blood and her hair. Yeah, so it really pops. And then of course, you know, there's the big reveal, which is there's some Hydra fucking lackeys running down the streets beating up some chick or a little girl, I can't really tell. <laughs> and there's some dark stranger walks up and kicks the shit out of him. Turns out it's a gruffy, unshaved... It's like old man Steve Rogers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like post-Vietnam Steve Rogers. <laughs> yeah, he's wearing the old military fatigues with like the shirt ripped open, got the beard going on. I don't yep. know what the hell is going on with that. I've got a theory with this one that when Kobik revived him, that maybe it like creates a splinter Could be. of them. Like one's the real Steve Rogers, one's the Hydra recreation. <laughs> so like the old Star Trek episodes where you have the mirror image of the person, that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I guess it makes sense because this Steve Rogers has a beard and the other one is clean shaven. So <laughs> it's not quite a goatee, but it's close enough. <laughs> I really like this issue. I The scope of it felt really epic. There's really mm-hmm. good personal moments here where people have to make those kind of hard decisions. And you see the hero teams kind of fragmenting into people who believe different things, which you always kind of get in these big superhero conflicts. I really like the part with the champions and Natasha starting the Red Room again. I thought that totally was agree. so badass and really awesome because the champions have been always this kind of pure, innocent, hopeful for the world. And now they're going into training with Natasha to assassinate people, to kill people. Yeah, murder champions. <laughs> yeah, times have become that desperate. <laughs> you can't really go wrong in this issue. The storytelling's amazing. The art was just stellar. And they jam-pack so much stuff going on into this. But they do it in such a way that it doesn't feel like overwhelming or too much. It's just really damn good. Instead of being like 22 pages, this is a little over 30 pages. So you get about 10 pages of each part of that story we've talked about. You get about 10 pages of the stuff in New York. You get about 10 pages of the stuff in the... More, a little more than 10 pages of the stuff in with the superheroes trying to decide what to do with the information. You get the stuff with the champions in the Red Room. And then you get the reveal of Steve Rogers. Each one has just enough space that it doesn't feel rushed. Yep. There's two panels in here that I think just stood out as being really, really great. That one of Captain America that's made up of all those little images it blows me away. Mm-hmm. I really like that image of Natasha in the Red Room. And I guess three, really, because I do like the part with Dagger acting as the light for New York City in the Darkhold dimension. Yeah, same here. All right, you ready to rate it? I'm going to give it five, the most terrible price. The writing's great. The art's great. I will give it five, welcome to the Red Room. This one has that sense of things are very desperate going on here. Yes. So I'm taking us over to the dark streets of Gotham for Batman number 23, The Brave and the Mold from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Mitch Gerrits. So this one is a story where you get to see Batman in detective mode, and it's really pretty awesome here. So it starts out with there's this old kind of drifter type guy who is singing this old Irish folk song about the Irish Rose, and he gets shot in the head twice. And Batman and Gordon are kind of investigating it, and Gordon's like, oh, only in Gotham does someone get shot through the 82nd story of a window. What is it with Gotham and people coming in 
through windows and batman's kind of looking over the scene and there's like this loaf of bread that has some like mold growing on it because the guy's been dead for a while because nobody knew who he was so nobody missed him so he's been in that apartment for a while and you start seeing these little flowers growing out of the bread and fucking swamp thing appears behind gordon and i love gordon's (laughs) little reaction he drops his pipe and is like holy shit you know and you find out that this is swamp thing's father and swamp thing is trying to both investigate what happened to him and why he cares because Swamp Thing is not exactly human anymore. And Tom King does the dialogue for Swamp Thing really well. There's a lot of where he speaks. It'll be like one word, dot, 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 couple more words, dot, dot, dot. So it's real halting when he's speaking, like he's trying to remember how to be human. And the stuff he says is fucking weird and trippy. Definitely. He and Bruce are talking and he's talking about, Swamp Thing is talking about how this was his biological father not the man who raised him but he had started getting letters from him in the swamp and he had met with him and they were talking about how all of life comes from originally they're particles falling from the sun they're like stardust and then they get made into material on earth and they die and they go back and there's this big cycle of reincarnation not exactly reincarnation but that p- people get returned to the universe and bruce is kind of interested in what he's saying but swamp thing again is very confused about why he's kind of emotionally invested in this because emotions are not really his thing. And while they're talking, I love the little scenes of Alfred sweeping up all the flowers and stuff that are <laughs> they're falling off of Swamp Thing. It's pretty that funny. They, there's those little moments where you have these deep philosophical conversations that are happening that are happening with these little moments of comedy in the back with Alfred with like a broom sweeping everything up and like a dust buster for all the dirt and mold and stuff. It's pretty funny. And then Tom King, he really knows how to balance the light and the dark here. And you get an amusing scene with Kite Man. Like, whenever you see Tom King writing Kite Man, you know it's going to be pretty funny, right? So Bruce's first thought is this was a job that took place 82 stories up, so Kite Man is probably responsible in some way. So he tracks Kite Man down and, like, leaps off a building on him and lands on him while he's flying his kite, which is too heavy, right? So they start plummeting down while Bruce is doing that kind of Batman interrogation where he's holding you close and, like, (laughs) yelling at you. I love that. Batman! (laughs) Yelling in your face while you're plunging to your death to give him the answers he wants. And Swamp Thing is kind of down closer to the street and makes this web of vines for them to crash into so they're safe. Catman says he was kind of in some money trouble, so he sold a kite to this pawn shop. So Bruce goes to the pawn shop, finds out that this other person came in to buy a gun but saw the kite and was really interested in the kite, so that's what he bought. And you find out that there's this assassin who's like straight out of every late 80s, early 90s comic. Like he's the kind of anti-hero mm-hmm. he's got the mohawk and the sunglasses and looks like he's out of like a billy idol video or something <laughs> and he's in this museum <laughs> looking at these pieces when batman and swamp thing confront him and this is the part where it gets really interesting and really emotional swamp thing sees him and goes just fucking ape shit on him and kills him he basically causes all these vines to like grow into his eyes and his mouth and kind of explodes him from the inside with plant material and the whole time bruce is like telling him to stop but he obviously can not actually stop him like one thing is way too powerful for him to stop and bruce feels really guilty about this because batman led him to the criminal thinking that they would get some kind of like emotional closure and 
arrest the guy, but Swamp Thing just killed him. His emotions kind of overwhelmed him. And as he's talking to him, he kind of fades back to the green, leaving this plant husk behind as his spirit, in essence, leaves the body. And while he's doing that, Bruce is yelling at him that he's a coward, that he can't leave, that he was giving him the answers about his parents. You know, that his parents, have they fell from the heavens as star stuff and they've been returned to the universe. And he wants to hear more about that. And that's actually why the guy killed Swamp Thing's dad is he had always been looking for kind of the answers to life and this old drunk in this bar whose son happened to be a Swamp Thing had answers that mortal people aren't usually don't get and he was really jealous of that so he decided to kill him so it's interesting that Swamp Things has this knowledge this wisdom but it brings a lot of pain and suffering to the people that he brings it to it was a really good issue of Batman I think it really hit on some of the deeper stuff with Bruce and really portrayed Swamp Thing in a way that I found very enjoyable. What'd you think of it? Well, don't get me wrong. It was interesting, that part that you just mentioned. But, you know, honestly, I didn't feel like going through this, I didn't feel like it really advanced the overall plot of the Batman comics at all. Or I agree. This is definitely an interlude between the two big arcs. Kind of felt like fluff to me, I guess. It's good fluff, but I mean... This is definitely a character study, not a plot advancement story. This is going deep into the similarities with Swamp Thing losing his parents, Bruce losing his parents, and how they deal with that. So if you like those kind of stories, you'll like this. If you want plot to be advanced, this is a standalone story that does not move the Batman story forward plot-wise at all. Yeah. I personally liked it. I thought it was a nice respite between these big story arcs that we're going to be getting. So I enjoyed it a lot. I will give it four and a half wild Irish roses. I'm going to give it three kite man. It's all right. Just not really my thing. So you want to swing us over to another part of DC? Okay. So we got the wild storm. Number four DC comics written by Warren Ellis pencils and inks by John Davis hunt colors by Steve Bucatello. So as I had predicted before (laughs) with a, Agents of Io and the Wildcats going after... Spica, the engineer. So the Wildcats basically show up trying to talk her into... They literally teleport right into her room and try and talk her into joining up with them, basically to get away from Io. Their sales pitch is that she could figure out what she's going to do without having to worry about getting killed. And so this Io team shows up and there's a big badass gunfight. I had such mixed feelings about the gunfight. They're just basically like in this big gunfight with these guys Spike puts her suit on in the middle of the thing and just goes like rocketing out the roof and it was cool because the Black Razor team they're all dead except for like one guy still sitting there alive and he goes to pull a grenade and they teleport out just in time so with this one you're starting to get if you haven't read Wildstorm before you're starting to get a little taste of what it's about and they start dropping a lot of hints everybody's talking about the peace treaty between Io and Jacob Marlowe and all of his people you also see later on this old guy who's the head of Skynet is what it looks like. It's funny because they come into this super sealed off room. There's no communications and he's like this terrifying figure scaring everybody off. And then once he gets in, he's like, <laughs> kind of like lets his belt out and he's talking shit about how much he hates Earth. Now, if you haven't read Wildstorm, I don't know, should I reveal this or not? Yeah, go ahead. I think if you're reading Wildstorm, you're probably somewhat familiar with it. Yeah, probably. Not too many people, I don't think, are really going to be just stumbling into this one. In the Wildstorm universe, it starts with an ancient space war that happens. There's this two species that they hate each other and they're from a different planet and they basically get a gunfight outside of Earth and then their ship's 
crash. And so what it is, is there's these two different species, and one of them is Carabim, which they've talked about a little bit here, and then the other is the Daemonites. And so the Daemonites are these possessing, they possess human bodies, and you're starting to see that come out right here with some of the storyline with Mr. Bendix, and he's kind of like talking about how he hates Earth and everything smells like farts. I thought that part was pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was fucking hilarious, because it's like, I was expecting a little bit more seriousness, and it's just like, oh god, the whole damn planet is filled with people smelling like farts, and they're talking about taking Slave, and how he just wishes he could just take over the whole damn planet, either that or bomb the whole thing into oblivion. They're starting to slowly move the plot, and if you're familiar with Wildstorm, well then, a lot of this stuff, they're hinting, drop little hints on it and stuff. They haven't really came out with a big plot reveal on this, and like, what's going on and everything, but man, to me, it's like, just, I'm so glad that they brought John Davis Hunt along with this. It looks beautiful. Oh my god, does that spaceship outside the Earth look just freaking amazing. <laughs> and I love how they kind of keep zooming out on the spaceship, so you get the sense of scale for the thing. Yeah, and it's freaking huge. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. I'm really digging this. I mean, it was kind of irritating in the gunfight. You're doing the typical 90s gunfight, doing a flip when you're shooting at people stuff, which is kind of irritating, but I'm really freaking digging this otherwise, though. So, this book looks really beautiful. I think that's the best thing about the book, is the John Davis Hunt art on this. For sure. I find it to be very confusing what's happening because I mean I know Wildstorm a little bit but I also don't know what is true anymore and what's not. I don't really feel like they're explaining things very well. There's a lot of characters. They all sound alike. That's my biggest complaint is they all have one voice. Like if you switch the dialogue boxes on characters I don't think you could tell the difference. None of them sound any different than each other and that's annoying to me. Yeah you know you have a really good point there. Yeah that's very true. (laughs) The things that look great are really awesome to watch. Like visually, this is a treat. I'm a little lost. I'm a little not invested in the story because I don't really have a central character that I particularly care about. There are characters that are awesome, but I only get them for a couple pages. You know, there's a huge cast here going on. Very true. I'm kind of a mixed bag on this one. Yeah, I actually do have a real good point. They haven't really like differentiated the characters very much as far as like personalities or goals or anything like that. I almost feel like they're expecting you. And I think it's a pretty fair ask that you've read Wildstorm before so that they feel like maybe they don't need to do as much of an in-depth introduction as you would normally expect in a book but because this is a whole different universe I can't use necessarily all that information like what if I'm using information that's wrong so I feel like they maybe made a misstep there it's gonna be curious to see where they go with it and everything I think that's my thing is that I'm already invested in all this stuff because you know the 90s and now it's like I'm trying to figure out okay what are they doing you know it's a different universe but it's like how much of it are they picking up or are they just like transplanting it into the DC and that's that you know I'm not even entirely sure that this is the DC universe that we know right because they don't mention any fucking superheroes or anything so is this just being published by DC yeah I kind of hope it's not honestly I do too because I don't think trying to shoehorn it in makes much sense so no not at all <laughs> I think this is just published by DC I don't think this occurs in the DC universe yeah so uh you want to rate it up your book so you go first like Ryan said visually this is amazing if you weren't into Wildstorm or Wildcats or any of the various titles that any of this stuff got into may not necessarily interest you or might be hard to understand where they're going with a lot of stuff. So just keep that in mind. But I got a feeling that they got some treats coming for us. So I'm going to give this good three and three quarters. Are you looking directly at me? 
<laughs> I will give it two and a half. Every damn thing on the planet is farting. <laughs> that part was funny. That part made me laugh out loud. Oh, that was... So I'm keeping us in the DC universe, DC proper, with Superman number 23, Black Dawn, Chapter 4 from DC Comics. It's written by Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason. Pencils by Doug Mankey. Inks by Jamie Mendoza, Doug Mankey, and Keith Champagne. Colors by Will Quintana and Ron Lee. So there's a shit ton of people on this book, and honestly, I think the artwork suffers because of that. I don't think it's up to normal DC Superman stand. I think the art is a definite sore point in this book. But the actual story is pretty awesome. So this is the continuing story of why John, Superboy, doesn't have the powers he should have, why he's weaker than he should be. And Superman has figured out that his neighbors, the old Wilford Brimley diabetes yeah. guy that we've made fun of in the past, is actually some kind of super powerful supervillain who is captured the super family. Now he says that he's not a supervillain, that he is just trying to prepare them and help them. But it's fucking creepy because he's capturing them and doing all kinds of bad shit. And you find out that John is in this room very much like Clockwork Orange where he's in this chair and he has to watch these video monitors of his parents fighting these monsters that they've created. Which are basically just, they look like enlarged animals. So there's like bats and things like that that are the size of school buses they're fighting. And their point is that Superman won't kill things and that causes bad things to happen. That people get hurt when he doesn't do that. And you see Superman fighting some of these things and rescuing people. And then you see there's this other team, which you end up finding out is the Elite, which if you know anything from DC, a couple years back, they had Justice League versus the Elite. So the Elite are superheroes, but they kill people because the only way to stop these bad people is to kill them. And of course, Superman and people like him think that that makes you just as bad. So the Elite are back and it sounds like they're trying to recruit John into their way of thinking by letting him see the harm that comes from Superman not just straight up killing these like mutated animals and there is some actual harm that happens here which is pretty fucking dramatic and impactful so while this is going on and he's fighting all these monsters a piece of is it rebar or I'm not sure what piece of construction material basically goes flying off into the battle and fucking takes Lois Lane's leg off mid thigh and severs it and his son has to watch it and Superman has to watch that happen too and he actually has to use his heat vision to cauterize the wound on her leg and get her to the hospital while she's screaming and John there's a really cool scene where he kind of like looks away and he's crying and you see these hands come out of the darkness and grab his head and hold it in place so he has to watch it happen because they are trying to show him that if you don't kill people if you don't end the threat innocent people suffer like your mom just did right because of your dad's weakness and you find out that the person who's been orchestrating all of this is Manchester Black who's the leader of the elite so they're back they're fucking with Superman's family there's actually a scene in here earlier where Lois is kind of in trouble and she yells out for Clark and then you get to see Superman bust out of this underground bunker and you kind of get for a couple panels there to see why Superman is fucking terrifying if he ever went full out on people because he's flying through the core of the earth blasting his way with his eye beams and like punching rocks out of the way and when he gets up there he starts whooping some ass he doesn't actually kill anybody but you definitely get the sense that if Superman was to unleash his full power that we would all all be in some serious troubles. That's kind of like where, for me, it, it always jumps the shark with Superman is because he could literally hear people's screams across the globe and stuff like that, but when they choose not to, it's like, oh, I can hear things from forever away, but then when they need it for a plot point, like, oh, we've nabbed Superboy, but all of a sudden you can't hear stuff, Superman. 
And it's like, oh, okay. Well, he is trying to find him, and he comments on that, that he can't find John, and normally he would be able to. So you're right, it is kind of, they do have the room built around containing Superboy's powers and locking Superman out. The way they have it is it's like a lead-lined room. Superman can't see into it or hear into it, and it's lined with mirrors, so when John tries to use his heat vision, the heat vision just, like, bounces around and ends up actually hitting him and burning him when he does it. But Superman's power level is probably the biggest problem with Superman sometimes. That's basically what my dislike of Superman has always been. It's not that the character is necessarily bad, it's just that his insane level of power, and I understand when he was designed at the time made sense, the insane level of power that he has without any real weakness, to me it like, just kind of always screws up the whole suspension of disbelief, because in theory, there's not really anything that's going to slow him down, except for something that's on his level of power, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, unless he's fighting another Kryptonian or Doomsday, there's not too much that physically can stop. All of his limitations are really self-imposed. So the most interesting stories about Superman are about his place in the world and how he uses those powers. So I think that this Black Dawn arc is kind of touching on those things. It's, is it right for Superman to use his powers full out and kill people? Because people do get hurt when he doesn't, but he talks about in another issue, and I don't necessarily want to use other issues to review a current issue, but he talks about how if they start just killing monsters and people and stuff that they're going to give in to fear and they're so powerful that they'll change the entire world if they do that that they'll become tyrants so I mean that's kind of a classic Superman story here so if you like Superman I think you'll probably like this issue Yeah, I do have to say I was very upset when I saw Lois get injured like that because she got fucked up I was pretty shocked because it wasn't like oh I got knocked out by a goon it's like no my leg is cut off and you can see Superman burning the meat to save her life like it's brutal when he does yeah. it and I think they make it intentionally brutal because the point is that John has to watch it that John is being taught a dark lesson here by Manchester Black being traumatized yeah. that's why I say it reminds me a lot of Clockwork Orange because the way that they do the tears on the eyes remind me a lot and that he's being held in place to watch it remind me a lot of those scenes in Clockwork Orange where they peel the person's eyelids open so they have to watch the images I really enjoyed this I think the art is not good in this I mean you can tell how many people are fucking involved in this and I think it feels very rushed and not very consistent I think that's definitely the big thing is like the consistency because they'll bust out with some pretty good panels here and there and then you get some that just look like sketches like they're just not just rough that somebody just kind of inked in and didn't really spend a whole lot of time cleaning up the art is definitely the biggest drawback on this issue so I will give it three and a half severed Lois's legs (laughs) I think I'm going to give it two and a half diabetes. <laughs> Old Wilford Brimley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just not much for me. It was a good Superman issue, but it's like, it's always my basic complaint. Sure. The best vegan meal I'm not going to really want to sit down and eat, you know? I don't care how good it is. So I get it that it's not your taste. I understand, man. That's good. All right. Now let's get out of DC and let's get back to some Marvel. Generation X number one, Marvel Comics, written by Chris. Christina Strain, pencils and inks by Amilcar Pena, colors by Felipe Sobrero. We've been talking about how the X-Men have kind of been getting back to their roots. The best way to put it is that this is a very X-Men beginning to a series. 
Definitely. Like every single time they relaunched X-Men, it's always the same thing. You have somebody showing up at the school for gifted peoples and some weird stuff. And then somebody's always trying to leave. And so in this case, let's just look at the characters. You basically have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a motley crew of dealers. Oh, my God. There. I mean, some of them are interesting, but these are not your top list mutants. Oh, no, for sure. So you got Jubilee for starters. <laughs> yeah, when Jubilee's headlining your book, you got a problem. Yeah, when she's the badass and then she's running around with her kid, you have... I didn't know that Morph was actually in the comic books. I remember when they had him for the TV series back in the 90s, and he was horrible, but... You've got Bling, who's like this super strong rock crystal girl. Yeah, it looks like those quartz crystals that you had in your classrooms in like elementary school. You got Kid Omega being his normal dickhead self. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm rich. <laughs> Nature girl. No. Enough said. Whose power seems to be summoning geese to fight people. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've got, was it Hindsight, who's the person who can see people's past when he touches them? Eye Boy, who, other than looking like a freak, I don't understand what his power is. Yeah, they haven't really spelled that one out. Although I did kind of laugh my ass off with Glob Herman getting glasses instead of contacts. That part was funny to me. That was hilarious. So in this one, Hindsight, he's trying to cut in on Wolverine's territory and be like the I'm not going to stay here guy. Just like an X-Men story you've ever read. So there's some conflict as Hindsight's walking around and bumping into people and getting like visions of who they are and stuff. And then Kitty Pride's running the school. And then there's a fight that breaks out. And then some religious Nazis show up waving around guns trying to kill mutants and that's pretty much what you got yep i don't know how much you remember like, pro wrestling since we're going off at wrestling uh, it's like you've got all these jobbers here and then it's like the guys who are the religious nazis who are trying to cleanse mutants and stuff it's like they look like the rtc the right to censor guys from the attitude era wwe it's a deeper cut than i'm familiar with man this one is kind of it's okay like i don't want to necessarily say that it's bad but at its core it's a bunch of people i don't care about doing a bunch of things i don't care about yeah, absolutely. And they don't even really make it up with the art. I wasn't really digging the art that much for the most part. I gotta say the art, again, is a little inconsistent. Mm -hmm. Like my favorite part of the book is Kitty Pride in this. And she's not really one of the main characters in the book. So no, no, she's just there to kind of like get it started. You know, it's like when you watch pretty much all the American Pie movies after the first one, it's like the dad shows up to kind of like get the new cast of characters started. That's basically what she's there for on this one. I mean, some of the faces in this look pretty rough. Oh, yeah. Their heads are completely distorted a lot of the times. Oh, absolutely. Poor actual sizing. Just overall, just not very good artwork positioning in bad places i noticed they're trying to make each of the panels kind of visually interesting maybe you'll have an overhead shot or one that's kind of off center or something like that they're trying to make the panel layout interesting but it's not done very well yeah they're failing miserably i can see what they're trying to do by kind of moving the if you had a camera that was filming this moving the camera around and showing different angles but it's just not done that well so they're making the attempt but i think this is a very much like a c-list x-men book 
and all the other X-Men books that have come out recently have been really good. Right? What the fuck? It's like every single one they've like, oh, we gotta have our C-list book. <laughs> Here's our jobbers. <laughs> X-Men Gold was great. X-Men Blue is great. Weapon X is good. Jean Grey is amazing. And then you got this. And isn't it just oh so fitting that you see the characters from the last shitty genre of X-Men? <laughs> They're really trying to push these characters and they must have people who like them if they keep publishing them. There must be people who like them. I don't think that's either one of us. No. I'm fine with them trying new things out. You know, I don't mind new characters at all. You know, don't make me sound like super elitist and stuff. And I understand that they can't all be super powerful and mutants and stuff like that. But make them fucking interesting. That's the you know? thing, though. It's not just that their powers are not very interesting. As people, they're not very interesting people. Yeah, exactly. They're just, like I said, you could fill the same plot. You could pull out hindsight and just throw Wolverine in there. That's basically what's happening. Because his powers don't really have anything to do with the story. He is a way for them to show history happening without having to have someone give you a bunch of exposition they just show you the yeah. pictures of what he's seeing that's the role that he's serving it just it's rough the writing isn't very interesting the art's not very good nope the general concepts for the superheroes suck yeah like i like stories that are set in the xavier school when they did wolverine and the x-men that was wolverine mm -hmm. at the x-men academy and that was the students and it was interesting and fun so you can do it it's not a concept that's inherently flawed but this just isn't all that good no so what'd you end up giving it pretty all bad so i think i'm gonna give this one foot's in the ass oh <laughs> uh, that's what i was gonna use i was gonna give it a little higher <laughs> but that was my favorite part of the book so i think i will give it to my power is summoning geese <laughs> Yeah, definitely won't be choosing that one down the road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like you're playing in like a role-playing game where you play mutants and you roll on the random table and they're like, congratulations, <laughs> you can summon geese. Oh my god, you're so right. I totally forgot about that. Like, you know, you're playing like <laughs> mutants and super spies or something like that. And you're like, oh, great. I have <laughs> antlers <laughs> and I can summon flocks of squirrels. Yeah. Two people have squirrel powers and you're the second best one. Yeah, exactly. You're not as good as Squirrel Girl. So. Exactly. So I'm going to run us as fast as we can. Back over to DC for The Flash number 22 for The Button Part 4, written by Joshua Williamson, pencils and inks by Howard Porter, colors by Hi-Fi. So this is the end of the story of The Button. So this one, again, has The Flash and Batman on their cosmic treadmill going through time and space and seeing all... Can I just say that's the stupidest fucking idea I've ever heard? The cosmic treadmill? Yeah. It is goofy, but I feel like they're embracing it's an old part of DC history. Yeah. I don't know. That's just bad. I think it's one of those things that if you like DC Comics, you'll have a fond place in your heart for the Cosmic Treadmill. It's like when you see, uh, like sure. in Marvel Comics, when you see like the Fantasticar moving around, right? It's lame, but they have that sense of fun with it, so. <laughs> Why don't you just pump up your freaking Nikes while you're at it? Reeboks. Those are Reeboks, man. I had those. <laughs> pump up your Ultra Flash Reeboks so you can get your sponsors in, Flash. So they're chasing the Reverse Flash through time and space, and I actually kind of like when reverse flash is kind of taunting them and he's talking about how he's going to go through time because he wants to torture barry right and he wants to make barry like him and he says he's going to go back in time and become a neighbor like a lifelong friend of their family so that when he causes his mother to be killed that he'll get to adopt barry and he's going to raise him as his son and warp him then that
that way. So I thought that was kind of a cool insight into how evil and villainous he is. And they're trying to tell him that they saw him at the end of time here, that he's going to die with what he does. And he's telling them, I can't be undone. I'm the one constant in the universe. And then he ends up on the moon and meets Dr. Manhattan, just like they fucking said he would, and gets radiation burned and killed. Cosmic Treadmill starts, like, breaking apart and having all these problems flashing Batman. And that's when you see... And to me, this probably doesn't mean that much to you, but this made my heart grow, like, you know, three sizes bigger. You get to see Jay Garrick come through time to rescue them, the original Flash, the guy with the helmet, the Hermes helmet that he has, the Mercury helmet. That part, to me, made me very happy as a DC fan to see that and just like we had when in rebirth when wally was trying to get people to remember him jay is telling them i'm your friend i'm one of the flashes you need to remember me but they can't and he ends up fading away so they have this kind of half memory of him because they just met him a couple minutes ago but he's faded out of time so they only have this very vague impression of someone who's trying to get them to remember them but barry says that he's not the lightning rod that he needed to come into this reality so that part was kind of interesting but the part part that is really really interesting there's two parts at the end is you get batman standing in front of the window reflecting on what his dad told him when he found in that alternate dimension to stop being batman that as a parent his wish was to avoid pain for his son that's been the whole purpose of his life so seeing him become batman which is just inherently pain and suffering hurts him and he should stop being batman so he's standing in front of this window brooding you know as batman does staring out at the city and then you see the bat signal pop up and then alfred kind of comes over and says sir are you going to answer that and it kind of ends with him not really giving you an answer to that just kind of staring out the window looking down so that's really interesting to see what is batman going to do because we already know he was trying to get claire and gotham and gotham girl to kind of take over for him as well so this might be a further push to do that so that's kind of interesting for batman going on there but then the part that is really really cool is you get to see dr manhattan picks up the button that reverse flash dropped now it's switched into text boxes from Watchmen and using that kind of Watchmen font. And then you see, and this is the part that's, took my breath away and again i think you have to know a lot about dc to understand what you're seeing here but you see the button kind of tumbling through space and then you see the superman logo and what i think this is is i think this is superboy prime who is tied into all the crises that have happened before and is basically what if superman went crazy and evil and bad and ends up destroying the dc universe in multiple infinite crises and and things like that so i think that you see dr manhattan and saying that he's a puppet but he can just see the strings so i think it might be indicating that maybe superboy prime is manipulating maybe even dr manhattan at some point so maybe what we've been assuming about the watchman is not necessarily true like the watchman may end up fighting against superboy prime with the dc universe i'm not sure but i think that's what that superman logo at the end is I enjoyed this. I thought this was a lot less of really like a Flash comic. It always feels more like a Batman comic when Batman's in it to me. And then you get some Watchmen stuff in here too. But I enjoyed it enough. What do you think of it? Other than the goofy-ass cosmic <laughs> treadmill. That's another thing that's hard for me is I've been trying to get into this Flash stuff. And yeah, it feels like it's a Nike commercial every single time. But now at least I've gotten a little bit more of a chance to actually like figure out what's going on. Because in previous issues, I'd kind of been like confused with a lot of what was going on. 
one. But I thought that this one was interesting. Once again, we go back and forth with like some consistency on the artwork that I didn't really like. You know, some of the panels looked amazing, you know, and, and great. And other ones, they really wonked out on. <laughs> the story was good. It was interesting. As Ryan was saying, this one, you kind of have to have a little bit more uh, DC knowledge for everything to really click. Yeah. But overall, you know, pretty good for a Flash story. <laughs> yeah, I think this one definitely asks a lot of you because you need to know both the obvious things that are happening on the page, right? Because you're going real deep into DC here. You've got reverse Flash. You've got original Jay Garrick Flash. You've got cosmic stuff going on. And then you have things that are just hinted at in panels that if you don't know what you're looking at, you're like, what the fuck is that Superman logo at the end? You know? Um, yeah. But if you do know, then you can kind of see the larger story that they're setting out which you find out that there's going to be a 12-part series in november called doomsday clock that also they show kind of the watchman clock and the superman logo is the midnight so the five minutes to midnight i think also indicates that it's going to be superboy prime so good stuff for me and i enjoyed it a lot i think i will give it three and a half i'm the constant in the universe not really my cup of tea but it was good enough at the same time i'm gonna give it three pumps the box <laughs> i had those i don't know why as a fat nerd who didn't play any sports i thought i needed those shoes but i had them hey man you just pump those motherfuckers tight enough and <laughs> you will be jordan <laughs> want to take us over to marvel so we're finishing off with luke cage number one marvel comics written by david f walker pencils and inks by nelson blake the second colors by mauricio menya david f walker is the guy who did some of those shaft comics that we liked he's done he did power man and iron fist so i think these are characters that he kind of knows pretty well Gotcha. So we basically have Luke Cage. He starts off and he's going to some establishment where he's been paid to go and kick some guy's asses that have abducted this guy's daughter. So he comes in and he goes through whooping some ass and taking some shots. I thought it was funny that they're like, people say that I ought to invest in some bulletproof shirts. <laughs> I like that too. He's like, but it scares the shit out of people when my clothes get destroyed and I don't. So it's a good investment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. That's fucking great, dude. Fucking Luke Cage. Uh. <laughs> Gets him in bulk for wholesale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Confronts the baddie that's got a gun to this chick's head. He's like, all this was over was five grand. He's like, I would have bankrolled it myself if I would have known it was five grand. He's like, oh, my boy Danny Rand, he's a multimillionaire. I could get you five large, no problem. And he's like, oh, really? You do that? He's like, no. Bah. <laughs> and like flicks him in the forehead. That scene is funny <laughs> as fuck. Like it really is. But I also like that it shows you that Luke Cage thinks too, right? Because the guy is holding a gun to somebody's head. So if he charges forward, that girl's going to get shot so he kind of uses his brain here too to get him close enough and away from the girl that he can just flick him in the forehead and knock him the fuck out he's not just a brawler and that's actually what i definitely have liked about luke cage he can fight but he's not just <laughs> gonna go hulkamania on <laughs> for sure so what happens is he finds out that the doctor who's trying to recreate the super serum has passed away so he goes and visits he goes and visits his funeral and then he finds another kid who has has a version of what he has it's like he basically had some, like some sort of disease that had him wheelchair bound and so they're like kind of talking about all the different specimens this guy's talking about how magnificent of a specimen he is and how that there were other test subjects during the whole thing as he was trying to perfect the serum and so got 
the other guy who got the same thing, but it caused him to lose his mind, Mitchell Tanner. So as they're talking about this, all of a sudden they get hit by this van that's driving by and their car crashes. And so Luke gets out to, he like knows that it's not an accident. He's getting out to like basically handle some people. I like that when he's like walking out, like taking off his jacket, like loosening the tie, like let's oh, do this. And he's shit talking him at the same time. He's like, those seems like you guys don't take your villainy serious. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have super villain in a minivan. Those aren't very intimidating masks. <laughs> and they're shit talking back and he's like oh i'll give you the first shot and then the guy like hits him and he says hulk red hulk blue hulk she hulk thor lady thor magneto dr doom all of them clocked me good but this one this one hit harder than all they start fighting and the guy's super strong and so he hits him back and then he pulls out this like segmented chinese style sword and it actually cuts luke cage and then he's like oh shit like all of a sudden somebody can hurt him and so he doesn't know how to fight so well when that happens same problem wolverine has when his healing factor gets taken away that so much of their fighting style is just i don't need to get out of the way yeah and then when they can get hurt hurt they're like oh shit yeah fighting's real easy when you can't be hurt <laughs> i did like that panel though where he's like looking at the blood on his hands and you get a couple panels of that shock of you know something hurt me he's like oh shit <laughs> yeah it's pretty good no i definitely thought so too so then just when things are looking bad another car comes screeching up and a guy gets out and guns ablaze and chasing them off villains hop back in their minivan and so it turns out that it's mitchell tanner who's came back to save him and he's talking about he's like a lot of references to family and stuff so he feels like there's some sort of relationship between them because of their super serum and stuff and that's where we leave off at this was badass you know pretty much where i was going with it too is that this it's fucking cool <laughs> it is the art looks fucking great Mm -hmm. The story's really interesting. Yep. There's characters I care about. Mm -hmm. There is super cool punching and sword fights and stuff, but they also solve problems with using their minds and kind of manipulating the situation around a little bit. Like, this had pretty much everything I want from a comic. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I totally agree. Big fan. <laughs> Definitely. I like David F. Walker's stuff anyway. Yeah. And I think here he's got the character that he knows really well and knows how to write and is doing something that I want to find out about. So it's all clicking. I said earlier that uh, with X-Men, that's one that I'm not going to be picking up. This will be one that I definitely will be picking up. For sure. Me too. So you want to rate it? I'm going to give it five non-intimidating gas mask wearing asses. And I... I like this a lot, too. I will give it four and a half. Five grand is a lot of money. Okay, so those were the books that we read this week. To check out our other podcasts, Cut the Cord, as well as other nerd shenanigans. Shenanigans. Go <laughs> check out 4colornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. Feel free to give us feedback or shoot us comments on any of our social media spots or whatever. We love them. We like hearing stuff. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, in the music app. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. Come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.